0: Hello, I'm Ellie Wharton. Welcome to the Heart to Mind Transformation Station, sharing stories related to the importance of building legacies that lead to greater health and wealth within your family. Come on, get on board. Hello and welcome to the Heart to Mind Legacy Transformation Station. This is a program dedicated to sharing inspirational stories of family legacies while providing insights as to how and why every family should implement a plan to share legal, health, finance, and family concerns in order to create a legacy that leads to generational wealth. I'd like to introduce my co host today, Mr. Jerome Smart. Hey, Jerome. Hey, Ellie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I'm so glad that we're here talking about this very important subject because recently I have been seeing all kinds of articles about this exact thing people creating generational wealth because they have created legacies by just basically collecting information about their families.
1: Yes, they've created legacies, collecting information about their families, and we are trying to make sure that we leave and establish
0: our legacies for our kids and beyond. Exactly. Um, You know, I want people to know who you are. So give us a little bit of information about yourself.
1: Okay. You know, they always say, uh, when you start talking about yourself, the conversation (laughs) goes really long, but really fast. I'm a real estate broker. I am a business owner. I'm a father of two kids, Danielle and Devin. I have been married to my lovely wife, Michelle, for thirty-three years, uh, okay. she is guest listening in on my on our first <laughs> podcast, um, and I want to thank you for allowing me to co-host with you and uh, and asking me to be a part of this very important topic
0: and and a uh, podcast. Well, you know, Jerome, you and I go way back to other radio stations and radio programs, and I was always impressed by the fact that. Even though you are an insurance agent, broker, something like that, <laughs> you yeah. continue to work in the community to share information with people that you feel need to know more about what's going on and how they can work to create legacies that lead to generational wealth.
1: Very much so. And, you know, insurance at the heart of insurance, it's really about protecting the things that matter most to you. And it it just became an important topic for me to, you know, want to make sure that people in the community understood a little bit more than they historically have.
0: Yeah, that is very true. And, you know, it's interesting that you speak about history because our first guest on our show today, oh, boy, you talk about having family legacies. Mr. Chauncey Spencer II, he not only has one legacy in his family, he has two. His father was a Tuskegee Airman, and we all know the, the absolute fame of the Tuskegee Airman. But a second one was that his grandmother was a famed poet in the Harlem Renaissance. Now, how often does that happen that you get two legacies in your family? You know what? I believe that when you have a family and a culture and an environment
1: that Prioritizes establishing your legacy. It becomes common. It's not as common in our community, uh, so it's definitely probably a you know a surprise or a rare to have someone like Mr. Spencer and his legacy of, on both sides of his family. But, you know, it's not common in our community. We don't
0: prioritize the legacy. But then also within the African-American community, oftentimes we don't share the story or we never knew the story. Yeah, that's that's a big part of family reunions and (laughs) the purpose of family
1: reunions back in the day. You had the tree and the matriarch of the family. She came every year to the reunion and added that person that was born during the course of the year and made sure that if anyone was missing on the tree, that they were added in. So Yeah,
0: that's really important too. And that's the second part of what we want to do. We, we want to talk about inspirational family legacies because it is so important for us to know what other people's families have done. But just as you said, adding on that information is key to families creating legacies that lead to generational wealth. If we don't know information about our own families, how are we ever going to share that? You know, when the time comes, you know, as we talk about when you reach the great beyond, it's too late to be telling people what your pin word, your pin number and your password is. Exactly. And, you know, you can't share it if you don't know it. If you don't know it. Well, we're going to take a listen right now to the interview that I did uh, with Chauncey Spencer II, because believe you me, This is a man who knows his family legacy. Let's take a listen. Today, I'm here at the Mississippi Aviation Museum in Gulfport, Mississippi, with a man who himself is a legacy, Mr. Chauncey Spencer. And he is going to tell us a very interesting story about his relatives and the wonderful legacy that they have left. The thing that's interesting about Mr. Spencer is that he not only has one legacy, he has two legacies in his family, and we're gonna delve into both of them. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: We're gonna talk about your relatives. I don't know how that makes you feel.
2: It makes me feel very proud and humble.
0: And humble, we like that, that it does make you feel humble. Absolutely. And this is the thing, tell our listeners about your family.
2: So a little bit of my family, my grandmother is a poet of the Harlem Renaissance. Her name is Anne B is in Bethel, last name Spencer. And she was instrumental in starting the first chapter in the state of Virginia for the NAACP. When W. Dubois and James Weldon Johnson came to her home, Dubois was asked to come there to speak at the graduation for Virginia Seminary College. And, of course, we know back then blacks couldn't stay in hotels. We had no motels. So you had to stay at somebody's home. So they made arrangements after finding out that Spencer's had inside plumbing that it would be a comfortable place for Dubois to stay.
0: And that's amazing. When you start to think about it, you're, sp- you're speaking of Du Bois and people that we know as fantastic legacies and here, your grandmother?
2: My grandmother Ann Spencer, a poet of the Harlem Rain Sons.
0: Right. Was just having them as house guests. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yes. Now tell us about your father.
2: So my father uh, is instrumental in breaking racial barriers, uh, not only in aviation, but in schools, uh, in police departments, uh, in city administrations. Um, he's a person that believes in no color. He doesn't believe in being called black or white. He believes that he's part of the human race and he is an American.
0: Absolutely. Tell us more about his role as a Tuskegee Airman.
2: Uh, so my father is a Tuskegee Airman and n- not only is he a Tuskegee Airman, but he made it possible for there to be Tuskegee Airmen because he got his pilot license in Chicago in 1936. He and Dale White made a a 10 city tour to the south to encourage the black colleges to get involved in aviation at the ground floor, which ended up being the civil pilot training program until they attacked Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, 1941, and then they turned it into the war training program, which ended up being the Tuskegee Airmen.
0: In this world, a lot of people don't understand why we need to have a separate designation for them. Tell us a little bit why that was important.
2: Well, that was important because if we know our history, we go back to Reconstruction, uh, where prior to that we were considered as African-Americans, we were considered three-fifths of a person. And so we weren't equal to white America. And so we were treated less than as what we would be called as second-class citizens.
0: And that was really important because at the time, with us being thought of as being three-fifths of a person, we obviously couldn't rise to the level of superiority of the others. Isn't that what really made the Tuskegee Airmen so uh, amazing?
2: Well, I think more so is because they were so educated. The majority of the Tuskegee Airmen had at least bachelor's degree. Many of them had PhDs. And so when they selected this experiment, because it was called the Tuskegee Airmen Experiment, now we clean it up and call it the Tuskegee Airmen Experience. But it was an an experiment that uh, the government decided that, okay, we're going to go ahead and give this group of people a chance because Franklin Roosevelt needed the so-called Negro to vote for him because the Democratic Party was founded and created by the Ku Klux Klan. So if we go back prior to Franklin Roosevelt, all blacks voted for Republicans from, from Abraham Lincoln.
0: And that's an interesting point that you bring up. Many people may not realize that African Americans used to vote Republican overwhelmingly, Yes. And that there wasn't a change until
2: there wasn't a change until 1932 uh, after the Great Depression, where Franklin Roosevelt was the president for more terms than anybody where they created term limits. He was the president for four terms.
0: That's right. Four terms. And you think about that. Mm -hmm. He was doing some tremendous things, as was his wife at the time, Eleanor Roosevelt. And I just have to let you know I'm an Eleanor as well. And I was actually named for Eleanor Roosevelt. And didn't realize all of the different things, the wonderful things that she did during her time, which were considered to be very revolutionary.
2: Yeah, but I'd have to say my vision would be more so giving credit to Eleanor Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt didn't care anything about integration. Franklin Roosevelt had to figure out how he could take that Ku Klan party of the Democrats into a working class party of America, which ended up being African-Americans that joined that party because they were part of the blue collar workers. And that's where it's at. Now, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt got all her lead from Mary McLeod Bethune. Mary McLeod Bethune was her was her go to girl. Uh, And so whenever she would when Eleanor would go into a black community, she would always call Mary McLeod Bethune and say, hey, uh, uh, Mary, what are you doing? I'm headed to Harlem. Can you ride with me? And so that's how that happened. And so when Eleanor Roosevelt decides to go to Tuskegee is to look at the progress on the polio experiments. And so while she was there, Mary McLeod said, well, check out those colored flyers. They're flying all around, but they won't let them get into the action.
0: Wow. So when you really stop and think about it, once again, is our people leading others to understand who we are and, yep. the, and the advantages that we bring to this country?
2: Absolutely. So there was a Negro uh, committee and A. Philip Randolph and others were part of that committee uh, for Roosevelt. So Roosevelt would understand what our community needed.
0: Yes. And what do you think it is that our community needed back then? And how does that relate to what we need today?
2: Well, we need unity. And it starts with ourselves. We can't blame other races for our own faults. We have to understand that we first have to learn how to unify ourselves. And so we can do that by education. Uh, the answer to racism is to fight ignorance, and you do that through education.
0: Absolutely. You know, I always think about this because, you know, we never think about our parents as being anybody great. When you were growing up, did you really see your your grandmother and your father as somebody that was building a legacy?
2: I did. I knew they were great. I knew they were strong-willed people. And uh As my father says, don't let nobody urinate in your face and tell you it's raining. My father knew how to do it. My father has no buffers. I have no buffers. And so my grandmother was the fire of that. My grandmother's uh, uh, bloodline uh, is Irish, African-American and Seminole Indian. So that Seminole Indian came out of her.
0: (laughs) And she was ready to get out there and and kind of go on the war path.
2: She would not go on the warpath, but she wouldn't take no as an answer. She was the one that created a lending library at Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School. She was a librarian there for over 20 years because blacks weren't allowed to read. And so she created a library and she put it in Dunbar High School, Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School. And so uh, when the senator, uh, Glass, Carter Glass from Lynchburg, Virginia, when he was, when he was having a town meeting, uh, blacks and whites were both at the town meeting, and he decided to tell blacks what they needed. And Ann Spencer got up and left and went home. And so later after the speech, uh, Carter Glass and his people came to my grandmother's home, and Edward Spencer, my grandfather, answered the door, and they said, we'd like to see Ann Spencer. And he said, I'll check and see if she's available. And Ann Spencer said, have them make an appointment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's the way to do it, right? You you show how important you are by not being totally uh, or readily available to just anyone and everyone. Right? She was very, very special.
2: Very special. Very strong. Very strong-willed. Um, she knew nothing, as she said, she didn't know anything about being poor because everybody in her neighborhood was poor. So it was not what was the difference. It was just a normal thing that everybody fed each other, everybody cared for each other, and that neighborhood on Pierce Street in Lynchburg, Virginia, was integrated. There were there were poor whites, poor blacks, and they all lived together.
0: As is often the case in the South, the difference became when you went to school or when you went to resources, you know, such as swimming pools or other community outings.
2: Well, they were segregated. Your schools were segregated in the South until the 70s. But it was when they came home. But when they went to school and went to church, they went segregated.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, tell us about your traveling Exhib- exhibition.
2: So I have what we call it the African Americans in Aviation Traveling Museum and it's to enlighten uh the public, all Americans, without hyphenation, uh a piece of American aviation history that is not in our classrooms. Uh I do the comparison between Bessie Coleman and Amelia Earhart. And most kids black or white know who Amelia Earhart is, but very few even black know who Bessie Coleman is, and I tested it down in Houston, Texas where Bessie Coleman was from, Atlanta, Texas, and here we are in Texas and the kids in Texas aren't being taught about Bessie Coleman. I mean, even just to give you a point, uh, Harrison uh, High School here in Gulfport, they didn't know anything about Colin Powell. They didn't know anything about James Austin. And I asked these questions and I'm thinking, you're in the military, ROTC classes aren't teaching the leadership of diversity? And I'm telling you from facts because I ask, I don't use secondhand information. I test it myself. If somebody tells me it's blue, I go look to see if it's blue.
0: Exactly. What has been the response to this traveling museum?
2: Excellent. All arms around, much love, much, much, much concerns of the considerations of things that they never knew. And this is everybody. This is just an American welcoming that I'm getting here in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi.
0: What kind of an impact do you think this is going to have on the young people who've come to your exhibit?
2: They're going to make it a better world. They're going to make it a better world. But thank God here they do know about Emmett Till.
0: Well, that is very true. And that was a very sad part of our history. Very, very sad part of our history. But again, you're right. Here we know about a situation such as Emmett Till, which we should know about. But then our heroes, the Tuskegee Airmen people are not aware of how do you hope that this will encourage them to do more research and to find out more about the legacy of the tuskegee airmen
2: i'm hoping that the school board will reconsider their curriculums uh the tuskegee airmen uh without any disrespect they they're 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 high on my list But I talk about people that made it possible for Martin Luther King, for Rosa Parks, for the Tuskegee Airmen. So we have to talk about A. Philip Randolph, who actually orchestrated the first march on Washington, threatening Roosevelt in the 1940s, and then also wrote part of that speech that Martin Luther King has, I Have a Dream. We have to talk about why they don't know about Mary McLeod Bethune, a champion in education. Uh, why would why they don't know about W.E.B. Du Bois and the difference between Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington was more uh, passive and don't upset the apple cart, and Du Bois was well, just turning the apple cart upside down.
0: That's right. Wasn't that really kind of the the difference, too, between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X at first?
2: I don't think so. I think it was just that Malcolm X didn't have the... Uh, the information as when he said that the white man was a devil the white uh... the blue uh... blue-eyed blond-haired devil until he goes to mecca and when he comes back from mecca then he changed his views and he became more of the side of martin luther king but the two of them we needed we needed a strength of somewhat militants, and we needed a strength of somewhat calmness, and we need to know when to use those two instruments.
0: Exactly. That is a very good point. And it was interesting, too, that Martin Luther King, while he was trying to get civil rights, began to kind of move more into, we need economic rights.
2: I think that it was more human rights. I think that civil rights was a title at that time. But at the end of the day, as we move forward and we see the generations now who don't know the struggles, they, they haven't had to experience segregation. They haven't had to experience blatant racism like I did when I was in the first busing program out of California in the early 60s, uh, where we went to school, segregated. And then, and then in, the, in the mid-60s, we were in forced busing. And so I was called a nigger. I was egged, called all these names. But I lived in a very protective home that I knew nothing about it. It was a safe, safety net. But the realities of the world were not like they were in our homes.
0: Absolutely. Where do you go next, Johnson?
2: The next place I leave here, I head back to uh, Palm Desert, California, to put on an event with Bessie Coleman's uh, great niece, Gigi Coleman Brooms, at the Palm Springs Air Museum on February the 12th.
0: That is exciting. I mean, just meeting you has really been a tremendous honor. You yourself are a legacy. Do you think about yourself that way?
2: No, I think about myself being so blessed with this tons and tons of information. They have two nicknames for me. One is that I'm a walking encyclopedia and one of my close friends. So I knew over 600 of the original Tuskegee Airmen that were pilots. And one of the wives of one of the Tuskegee Airmen who was a mechanic, we went to... uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. We were invited there uh, for a GE Aviation event. Uh, actually, it was in 2012, February the 17th for Black History Month, and we and we kept passing it and going to Kalamazoo. So she said, "I'm going to give you the name. You're called Wrong Turn." So I have Wrong Turn as my nickname.
0: <laughs> well, thank goodness you weren't out there flying around with the t- no. <laughs> you might have ended up in France or somewhere else, huh?
2: Absolutely. You know,
0: or Austria or wherever. Yes. You know, But you would have taken a wrong turn. But no matter what, when they saw the Tuskegee Airmen coming, the Germans ran.
2: They did. They were fearful of the, blacks, uh, the black swans, the black swordsmen. The, uh, they had a nickname for them and they respected them. I don't know if they were afraid of them. I think they respected them because there was propaganda, there was dropping leaflets to blacks in in Ramatelli, Italy and stuff. Why would you fight for a country that doesn't even love you, doesn't care about you? You should go home. They don't care about you and all of that. But at the same time, the Tuskegee Airmen fought for their country. It's their country. It's our country. It's one country. My father has a thing on his military pen, and it says one flag, one country, one people, America.
0: That is a beautiful, beautiful saying. Well, Chauncey, thank you so much for your time today. Again, thank you for the Traveling Museum and for your goal of educating our young people so that they will understand the value not just of a specific group of airmen, but how all Americans have played a tremendous role in making this a great country.
2: And I thank you, and I thank you the way you put that. That's perfect. Thank you so much.
0: We appreciate you and everything that you're doing. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. You're listening to the Heart to Mind Legacy Transformation Station. Wow. Jerome, can you believe his story? I was just blown away by it. And like you said,
1: to have a legacy story on both sides of your family that are dynamic. It's, it's just amazing.
0: It is dynamic. And the, and the good thing about Chauncey is that while he takes his traveling exhibition all over the country, he was here in the Gulf Coast of Mississippi just a few weeks ago. He told me that in his with his exhibition, he was able to reach over 600 students in elementary, middle school, and high school. And they came and listened to information. The sad part about it was, is that here in Mississippi, where Tuskegee is located, None of those children knew of the Tuskegee Airmen.
1: That is crazy. I think with the coronavirus going on and the publicity that it's been in in world media for the last couple of years and the black community, how we have not embraced the vaccine because so many people know of the Tuskegee experiments with syphilis and still in the same environment, the same university. Eleanor Roosevelt was going to Tuskegee to check on the progress of the Tuskegee experimentation that they were having on Black folks at the time. And the Tuskegee airmen ultimately were put into service or, you know, got service uh, as a result of it. But everybody knows about the Tuskegee experiment. Experiment.
0: Yes, but not the Tuskegee flight experiment. Exactly. And it was such a wonderful experiment that it truly led to a change in how the armed forces looked at the African-American male and and female for that respect. Because we've got, as you know, within the Tuskegee Airmen, a female um, who was there as well. So it wasn't just men making that kind of a legacy. You know, it was all people working together. That's the key. That is the key.
1: And, you know, the bottom line is we have to prioritize our own communities and the legacies that we create in our own communities. But we cannot do it alone. No, we We have to embrace that that support from
0: outside of the community that does not look and sound like us. Absolutely. Well, Jerome, in your business. What do you do? What what kind of advice would you give to our audience and to the community about beginning to create a legacy that leads to generational wealth?
1: Uh, That starting point is, it's a little bit of a difficult question uh, because I have to kind of highlight and focus, you know, what's the priority whenever I'm talking to most of the time, my clients come to me on an automotive insurance need or homeowner's insurance need, they rarely reach out to me first to discuss a life or financial legacy need. And so that conversation is historically very difficult because people don't want to talk about debt. Uh, So the advice that I give to people more often than not is I just beat them with the truth. I like that. Beat them with the truth. (laughs) I just beat them with the truth. I was going to church one Sunday and, and my kids went in the car and we saw a fire off in the distance. And I looked over at him and I said, do you think when those people woke up this morning that they re- realized that they were going to be homeless by the end of the day? And you just have to make sure that people understand you can't keep kicking the can down the road. You have to start planning on what you're going to do for not only your kids, but your grandkids and beyond your grandkids. We don't think generationally in terms of how we are going to make an impact on the
0: lives of our families and the lives within our communities. Well, maybe that was the case before, but that's not going to continue to be the case, because through the Heart to Mind Legacy Transformation Station, we're going to make sure that people know, of other legacies among other families and communities. But we're also going to give them a lot of tips and information on how to gather and collect information and archive it so that when they do have that inevitable moment, and you know, if we live long enough, we'll experience that in all of our families. We won't be sitting around going, oh my gosh, I wonder how we're going to get into her phone. Where was the insurance? Oh, what's the name on the house? How do we take care of the afterlife business? That's what we're going to teach people through this program. And I think people are going to really enjoy it.
1: I think people are going to enjoy it. And you are an excellent, consummate communications professional. Oh. I will just get better over time. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, uh, think- I think as my personality comes out a little bit more, we'll have a little bit more fun with it and and I'll get better in the process as well.
0: Well, you know, my goal has always been for us to have fun first while we're doing this. If it becomes a drudgery, then it's not going to be any fun. And the same thing is true for working within the family. It has to be made fun, interesting, as well as confidential, insightful, insightful people have to know more about their families and those stories and that's what we're going to bring out in subsequent podcasts
1: and but i think it's going to be
0: great i do too and you know All the right. thing about these things is that the time always goes so fast you know uh we're at the end are of this done? show we are done oh my goodness. this week i was this just week. getting warmed up <laughs> Well, I'm going to make sure you have many more opportunities to come on and talk to our listening audience. And we want to turn and we want to thank you all as well, because it is going to be a journey, but we're going to help you transform your life, transform your wealth, transform your health, and transform your family. This has been Ellie Wharton. We're going to help you create a legacy. That's right. Exactly, Jerome. (laughs) Exactly. All right. right. Well, I'm Ellie Wharton with my co-host. Jerome Smart. And we will check you out next week. Thanks for listening. Y'all have a good one. This has been the Heart to Mind Transformation Station. I hope you enjoyed today's program. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Tune in again next week.